What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest is Greg Eisenberg, longtime friend of mine who's my go-to for anything with social products. He's built and sold multiple community-driven companies and is working on a company these days called Late Checkout, where they're looking at how to unbundle Reddit and Facebook groups, basically look for opportunities to build community off of these large platforms by seeing what's working on them and then creating dedicated community products and spaces off of the big social platforms. So we talk all about how to build community and how to identify business opportunities with community, how to monetize community, a ton of really great insights in this one. And we just kind of get into the, our theories and philosophies around what it takes to build real authentic communities today on the internet. You're going to love it. Let's dive in. Why don't you start by just telling everyone who doesn't know who Greg Eisenberg is? Okay, so that's that's a, that's a tough question, but I never thought I was a communities person, but it turns out I'm a communities person. Well, you're on the Masters of Community podcast, so you're officially a master of community. I'm not saying I'm the best at community, but some of the best people in community don't even know that they're doing community. They just they're just wired that way. One hundred percent. I've been focused for the last you know fifteen years building internet communities. So in different verticals. So what I love to do, what gets me off is finding people who are passionate about something and making them feel really damn good about that thing. So for example, help build uh, the largest cannabis media company and community in the world called Herb, help build one of the largest financial education uh, communities and companies which got acquired by uh, private in private equity, helped build um, a company called FiBuy, which was video discovery in different communities and interests that got acquired by StumbleUpon. StumbleUpon helps people interest. You know, it was one of the largest you know consumer social companies in the mid to late two thousands. I remember. Um, basically. It, yeah, basically it like allowed anyone who was interested in a thing to like find really fun and interesting content around that thing. Um, and there was a community component as well. And then, yeah, after that, I started Islands, which uh, basically was um, a way for college students to find community. Um, and the, the format of it was very like kind of like Slack, but for college. And that was acquired by WeWork. And WeWork um, is, you know... A, as you know, a co- you know the leader in co-working, um, which has the professional, you know, a professional network, um, which is a community, and got to join there as a head of product, head of product strategy. Um, so thought a lot about community there, um, and now I am the co-founder of a company called Late Checkout, and Late Checkout basically looks at different communities and figures out ways to build products for them to either supercharge them, get them really excited, or build community products for that particular community. So we, we build our own products. We help, uh, we have an agency too, which helps you know companies like Warner Brother Music or TikTok basically figure out some of these questions. Um, and then we have a fund where we acquire internet communities that are profitable. Long history of building community and community product. And you're, you're probably like, you're, you're my go-to for anyone 
for anytime I have a question around kind of like social media and social products, you're the first person I always think of. And it's interesting now, I know you and I have been tweeting a lot about community uh, for a long time. Now it's like every VC has got a hot take on community as well. And they're getting on board with this whole unbundling narrative. But I remember, what was it? I think it was like two years ago, maybe you and I were chatting, you were working on islands and we were talking about how like, man, like VCs are just still real cold on social media. Like there's no investment going into social media and no one seems to really care about this stuff. And based on the narrative, um, and I'm, you know, social media isn't the same as community, but based on the narrative and the way things are shifting, like, is that turning the corner now? I mean, is it ever, man? I I can't tell you how, like, it was a nuclear winter for social apps from 2015 to 2019, really. Um, you know, as soon as you walk into a VC room and start talking about how you're trying to bring people together, you know, even the word community was a bad word. There was so little funding that happened in consumer social. And to me, it's just like amazing that these same people, like a VC basically texted me this morning, somehow got my number, actually. I'm like, how did this VC get my number? You know, that's how badly he wanted to get in touch with me. And got my number, like found out someone who knew me, got my number. And he, he was like, hey, like I heard, you know, hey, I don't know if you remember, but like we talked about islands and uh, now I really want to fund this like other community app. And first and foremost, we never talked about islands because he never responded to my emails uh, because I was building a consumer social app and a community app. So that's first and foremost. Second, and because it wasn't cool. And secondly, now all of a sudden, like he's literally like breaking into people's address books to like find my my phone number. Like, are you like I I can't I can't believe that these are the same people. Yeah, and it just goes to show you that like um, when you're hot, you're hot, and when you're not, you're not. And you know, from an external point of view, but you know, from my perspective, like nothing has changed. Like. People always want to come together through community. People always want products to, you know, represent them and represent their communities. Like nothing has changed except the external or macro economic environment around this particular industry. What do you think caused that change? I think COVID. I mean, COVID basically created an environment where it's unsafe or it's really just unsafe to access physical spaces. And where physical spaces happen is where community thrives. So, you know, I think VCs looked at it and they're always asking the question of why now? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, when you're creating a pitch deck to raise money from people, you should always include in your pitching VCs, you should always include like, why now? Why does this business should exist? Like, why should... I was looking at the uh, LinkedIn actually series, you know, B deck, like one of their first decks. And it's like, you know, why should, you know, why should LinkedIn exist? And oh, well, you know, social networking is taking off. Like that's exactly the type of investments that VCs like to make when the now is something that's really important. Totally. And uh, the why now is you can't access communities very, very much. And they're going to look for virtual, right. virtual ones. Do you think that 
there's lasting power on the other side of this? Do you think that like as soon as a vaccine is discovered, VCs will go back to like, eh, community's not that important? I mean, the the honest answer, can I be honest on here? You could be, this is, this is it, exactly the place to be honest. The honest answer is I don't care. <laughs> and let me explain why. Okay. It has never been cheaper and has never been more accessible to use technology to build an audience, to convert that audience into community, to convert that audience into a loyal community, mm-hmm. and to create that into a sustainable business. Right. And to do it without VC dollars. Right. So we don't even need the VC investment for this to work. That is the best kept secret about all of this. Yeah. You don't really need it. It's interesting too, because I'm seeing, you know, VCs talk about like who's unbundling Facebook groups, who's unbundling Reddit, who's unbundling these different big platforms. And and my first thought was like, well, it's not really a VC business. Like the, the companies you're asking to meet, like they don't need you. And and it's not really the format that most community businesses take. Like if your product is the community, it's very rare that you're VC backed. And it's kind of awkward too. It's like, especially at the early stage, like, oh, hey, like I want to go build this, you know, my name is Greg. I want to go build this community. Give me $4 million to like go build this community. <laughs> right. Like when I think about some of my favorite, you know, companies that are community oriented or who have built great communities, like they don't raise, pre, you know, on the idea of, you know, to build a community. I think like the best communities are co-built co-created, I guess, with, with the community. And, you know, the other like thing to note is that like to build the VC model is, is basically build something, scale it and scale it as quick as possible. Right. And that, that doesn't really fit well with the community model. Like the truth is it takes a lot of time. And then people are, you know, the counter example that people give to that is like, well, like Reddit is a VC backed business. It's multi-billion dollars. It's a community. Right. Well, Reddit took a, a damn long time to, to actually like, yeah. to like grow. That's right. Based on VC standards, like it wasn't a success. No, by VC standards, I think Reddit sold for like 10 or $15 million in like 2006 right. or something. Yeah. And it was only when they kind of went more independent that like actually it felt like it found its rhythm with the community more. Exactly. And they had to just like, you know, now we talk about the unbundling of Reddit. Now we talk about the unbundling of of LinkedIn and, and places like that. But I think Reddit like basically was in the bundling of communities game for a really long time. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I think this is a really interesting topic. You've been talking a lot about unbundling large communities and I want to dive into what that actually means. Well, well, I guess let's start with that. Like, what does that mean to unbundle Reddit? or unbundle Facebook? What's happened recently... Okay, so I think there's three three stages to the internet. The first stage was like 94 to like 2005, 2006. And it was like basically taking... It was basically like the access era where we took things like... Here's, I'm you know, podcast viewers can't see this or listeners can't see this, but I have a magazine over here. And I, we take a magazine and we put it online. We call it people.com, People Magazine, Us Weekly. We put it online. The in, early internet was just taking things and putting it online. 2005 to like 2017 or so, 
that entered the broadcast era. So that was like Facebook. That was like Twitter. We basically gave everyone microphones and allowed anyone to say whatever they want right. and access people. Blogs. Yeah. Dead journals. Exactly. IRC going way back. And now we're kind of in this new era, which is, you know, I, I haven't, you know, I, I'd call it probably something like, inter, you know, interactive based experiences, IBEs. It's like your Discord group. It's your Fortnite world. It's your, you know, just these interactive group virtual kind of vibes mm-hmm. that you come in and it isn't a broadcast. It isn't like, hey, I'm going to share this message with everyone. It's a select community of people, a select group of people. Right. It might be your church group. It might be a book club. It might be, you know, your bonsai cutting community. Like it might be anything. Yeah. And that's where we are right now. How, how is that different from phase two? Because like in phase two, there were still forums and message boards and online communities, right? Yeah. I mean, the internet has always had, I'm simplifying it a bit, but the internet has always had, you know, elements of of communities throughout its life cycle. I mean, it started off as, it has always been a part of it. But I think the majority of like the VC consumer successes um, were, you know, access number one, broadcast number two. Right. And now I think it'll be interactive-based experiences. The big hits will be interactive-based experiences. Okay. So, yeah, you're, you're kind of describing, like, what are the things that, like, quote-unquote win right now or, like, go really yes. big? And so now is a phase where – and it seems like there were forums, but now it seems like there's a group for everything, for everywhere, for everyone, for every specific need. I mean, not everything. There's unlimited opportunity still, but there's a lot more than there used to be. And by the way, let's – you know, we're keeping on the spirit of being honest here, Right. And I want you to disagree with me on stuff too. I hope you can be, I want you to challenge me. I want you just, that's why I love our conversation. <laughs> I always disagree with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true. So, I mean, to me, like forums will always exist. Um, but to me, going into a forum for the last 15 years has always felt like going to a really, like a smelly, really old person's house. <laughs> it's starting to feel that way. I mean, there was a time where it felt fresh in you and, yeah, I think like, this, I mean, this is going to go into where I think we're going, which is like communities have become very centralized and platforms have become very centralized on the internet. So like, because these big social platforms own our attention, we end up going to the same place for community. You know, Medium is really trying to centralize blogs, Facebook communities, Reddit communities. And, and we've just gotten also very used to that user interface of the Facebook feed or the Twitter feed that it feels very different than the traditional forum. I think uh, a great analogy for the monolithic companies is Walmart, like the Facebook, you know, Facebook has become like the Walmart of the internet. Right. I live like right near Walmart. You know, I can get anything I need there. Right. Which is kind of cool if you think about it. Right. Like anything. It's huge. Or Amazon. Amazon. I can get anything I want. Get everything. But I choose, I mean, sometimes I'm in a bind and I'll, and I'll go to Walmart. But for the most part, like, I like the, there's this, like, little coffee shop called Cooler Cafe. And, like, I love, like, I can go to the, you know, right now I'm in Canada, so I can go to the Tim Hortons, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, the monolithic Walmart of coffee shops here in Canada. 
Yeah. Or I can go to Cooler Cafe where there's this woman named Annie who's like a sweetheart and she's lived in the town her whole life and she's just like, it's, you know, roast her own beans and she just like, right. you know, understands everything and it, it feels more, it feels great. It feels bespoke. It feels, I, I have a connection to it. I feel human. I feels human and it feels like home. It's right. like, it's a place that I can leave, like I can, I can brew, I have her coffee. Like I could brew her coffee at my house. Why do I go into you know, my car, or do I walk 25 minutes to go to like this particular cafe is because I go because the, how I feel when I walk in. Right. So the question is for our listeners and for you, Mr. Spinks is how do we feel when we walk into Facebook Hmm. and how do we feel when we, you know, we, we feel, you know, when we go into some of these Facebook groups, you know, Facebook groups has a billion plus monthly active users. Like there's still a lot. I, I don't want to discount how, uh, you know, what amazing things are happening on, on these platforms. Yeah. But it's still, you know, and that just in the same way that like on in Walmart, you can get a lot of great stuff that can really improve the quality of your life. But does it feel, do I like feel connected to that Facebook group? Um, I, yeah, I feel connected to people. Right. But like, does the experience. The environment. Give me that feel. The environment? No. Right. And so is that is that kind of how you to get to the original question, which I rudely interrupted you on your path there of like the unbundling of these large platforms? Is it essentially, well, it feels somewhat sterile and repetitive on these platforms. And so there's an opportunity to create places that feel more authentic to those specific groups and identities off of those platforms. Yes. You need to build, people need to be building the cooler cafes in every single thing that they're interested in. You know, if you're, you know, I was talking to someone um, yesterday who um, is a woman with leukemia. Yeah. And, a, you know, with a, in a certain age group, there's, that's a community. Yeah. And those people are talking and like, I think that, I do I think that like, you know, Facebook groups is the purpose-built platform for that particular community like no way right no way and that's you know going back to your question actually is you know what is the unbundling of reddit what is the unbundling of facebook groups it's like looking at these like cookie cutter solutions essentially right to community and thinking about what can you create for this particular audience to make them feel like home so i'm going to ask for your advice because this is something that we're actively thinking about for our cmx community And like the broader context is, I wonder, it it feels like Facebook, Reddit, like a few platforms have essentially a monopoly on community on the internet. And it's because, and this is something I'm hearing from a lot of community builders and I'm experiencing ourselves in our community. You're faced with this decision of, do we build community on these large platforms, which will really drive a lot of engagement, right? Like we just did a, we kind of asked our community what, because we're, we're looking at like, you know, should we move off of Facebook and, and have our own owned space for the CMX community? Uh, we launched our Facebook group six years ago. It's been basically like the home for our community. It's It served us well. But for a lot of the reasons we just talked about, you know, we're, we're looking at like, can we create a home for our community that feels more, you know, purpose-built, intentional for this group? And we're faced with this trade-off of if we move off, 
uh, when we asked the community, a lot of them said, well, you know, I show up in here because it shows up in my feed and it shows up in my notifications. And so that's what brings me back here. And I'm worried that if you move off of Facebook, I'm not going to like see notifications. I'm not going to be brought back into the community. And so I'm not going to engage as much. And so, and, and this is what I'm hearing from a lot of community builders. It's like, do you sacrifice the trade-off? Because so much of our attention is sucked into big social on, on, on the internet today that it's, it's extremely hard in many cases for independent communities to thrive off of those platforms. So the, the tough part about community building is there isn't necessarily a like framework for thinking about everything because every community is unique. Every community is just no I live that struggle every day, Greg. Yeah, I don't know how you do <laughs> How it, do man. I generalize this for all communities? Anyway, go on. So I, I preface it with that. And, you know, my, my belief is there's probably 80% of, 75% of communities that probably should, probably should live on existing platforms. And those are the communities that are probably borderline audiences, borderline communities. Like they're in that, like, they're part audience, part community. The true community stuff, like the true community stuff, like we were just talking about the, you know, this 18 to 24 year old group of uh, women who have uh, leukemia. Mm-hmm. Those people aren't like going into that group because like it shows up on their Facebook feed or their Instagram. Instagram, like, yeah, it might remind them, but those people like fundamentally want to show up to the place that they can get value for. Yeah. When I talk about, and that's, you know, when I first started talking about the unbundling of Reddit, I was getting a lot of emails and DMs on Twitter and stuff of people being like, oh, hey, like I'm unbundling like the news category on Reddit. Here's an idea. And I was like, "That no, (laughs) that's not going to (laughs) work. You know, that isn't a true community. So my feedback to... It's not an identity. It's not an identity. And you, you, you have better words for it than I do because I'm a self-taught community guy and I feel like you're kind we of... We all are. I've just spent a lot of time teaching it and having to okay, explain do- it to okay, people. Okay, Dr. Sphinx. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I think that's why I'm here. You know, I'm here. One of the reasons I'm here is I, I, I love talking to you about it because I love learning about what the right vocabulary is for this, for this space. And I think that's really important when you're communicating to other people about what is community. Right. To me, the you know, my vocabulary for it is true community. So if you're building true community, you can go off platform. If you're building community, you may be able to go off platform depending on how compelling of an experience mm. you're creating. If you're creating audience, it's almost impossible at this point with big right. social being so big to right. convert. One thing that it sounds like you're kind of getting at here and I've been thinking about is like, it's like if we were to move off, we would need to ask our community to engage in our community with intention and make it a priority to show up in that different space and like become aware that they're being pulled into big social and and that if they're not just organically going to be pulled into an independent community that's not on big social because they haven't developed those habits or routines yet. So it's like if you care about this purpose and and this group of people in this community, you need to bring intention to that and actually make it a point to show up here 
regularly and participate and contribute, which is asking a lot of people. Yep, it's asking a lot of people and it's asking a lot of the community organizers too. Like, how do you create that environment? How do you, you know, remind people? How do you show by example? And, you know, all the little nuances that make community building so hard that you have to do. And it's one of those things that, you know, a great example uh, of a great community builder that you and I both know well is Ryan Hoover. Yeah. I had a conversation with Ryan a couple of weeks ago and I was like, dude, I love how you like when I tweet for, <laughs> or, or yeah, so when I tweet, sometimes like I'll tweet at 8 a.m. or like 9 a.m. Eastern and like I'll get like a like from Ryan at like 5 or 6 a.m. his time. Yeah. And I love it. And I was like telling him, I was like, I love that you do that because like I know that you're on Product Hunt. Like he has his Twitter up, but he, he's he's on like the reason why he's up so early is he's on Product Hunt and he's like he's putting in the he's he's there 365 days a week. Uh, sorry, 365 days a year, seven days a week. Like you have to show up if you want to build a community. Yeah. So like that's another thing. Like don't don't go off platform if you're not going to be Ryan Hoover. If you're not going to show up, if you're not going to show up. Just don't do it because you're not going to but you're not going to be happy with the results. It's almost it's it's almost made us a little lazy. It's like it's almost easy to build a community today if you just put up a group on Facebook and let the Facebook algorithm drive new members to it and um, show people the posts in the feed. You know, not to say it's easy, but like to get people to show up and to keep showing up. That part is is kind of like they're like we'll take care of that. All you need to do is you know create the group and and have content in there. And it's like, if you look at any really deep, healthy communities, there's a leader there who is really putting in the work to think about the small details and every element of the experience and how to make it so compelling that people want to keep showing up. They don't need a social media feed or notifications to pull them back in. I I think that's a huge insight and I, I completely agree. Um, for me, it's, 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 you know, due to COVID, I used to eat all my meals out and at restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah. During COVID, I've spent a lot of time in the kitchen. Yes. Just cause. Samesies. Yeah. I think all of us have. No choice. <laughs> no choice. <laughs> but I've, what I've learned is I learned a few things, but the, one of the big insights I've, I've gotten from it is how uh, meditative cooking is. Mm-hmm. You know, in the store, a lot of times, like I can go and I, even in the store, even within cooking, even within like preparing food, like I can go and buy prepared food and just like throw it in the oven. Like we're done here. Mm-hmm. Doing that is like, like buying the prepared food and throwing it in the oven is Facebook groups. Yeah. <laughs> like putting your hands, like I'm making like veal hamburgers tonight. You know, maybe this is TMI, but, you know, I'm going to like put my hands in like a bunch of like veal. I don't even like meat, <laughs> you know, but it's going to be like deep in like veal, you know, <laughs> and I met, I just got this house and I just saw a deer on my property yesterday. And like, I'm thinking about the deer and I'm going to be putting my hand. It's like a lot to like deal with. That's community building. <laughs> I think you lost me there. <laughs> uh, no, I well, mean it's putting in the work. It's getting it's, your hands yes. dirty. It's like that's right. You know, that's it, true. It it's messy. It's messy, and it, it takes more time and more effort and more energy. But literally, like, th- there's a direct correlation of like how 
meaningful community can feel and how healthy it can feel and how much work people are putting into it. Yes. And people notice like like people people can look at product hunt and be like, oh like I could have made that. That's a simple this is super no. No way. No. It takes a special type of person to do that and to to do it for so many days in a row. It's been years now. Yeah. I think what we're going to learn over this next boom in community building is there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be using doing prepared foods and thinking that they're community builders. Mm. And then actually at the end of it, they're just going to have like essentially fast food and not have a staying community. Like that's the other thing, like just Mm. because you have like I'm involved in one company that has like, you know, 10 plus million likes on Facebook. Right. Um, around a topic, but I don't think they're a community. Right. They think they're a community. Right. I don't think so. Yeah, it doesn't have staying power. And that's a good yeah. point, right? And that is the point. It's like for the folks who say, well, we wouldn't, you know, if, if you moved off of Facebook, then like, I don't know that I would engage here. It's like, well, I guess like, you know, you were using this community for its utility. Like it, it's nice to have for you. It's not really you know, important to you to show up in and not that it needs to be for everyone. Every community is going to have a distribution of people who are super, super invested and get a ton of value. And then people who are more passively involved, but agreed. Like, I think like that work and that effort is what will create real communities. Yes. And I, I actually tweeted this a few hours, a few hours ago. I don't know if you saw it, but it said, if you're listening to this, retweet this t- this tweet. Large communities equal not mon- not always monetizable. Loyal communities highly monetizable. Right. When you get to minimum loyal community MLC, very sustainable businesses are created. Love it. And the reason I got to this like insight is I had been looking at a lot of like communities, quote unquote, um, and they're just like big websites that are on a topic right and and then i started like looking at these like smaller neat like crazy niche crazy niche right um but like i see their metrics and i'm like this like people will literally you can literally put anything for sale and people will buy something right because that's how much they care about it and i i know that you know I know that it's a faux pas to say monetization and community in the same sentence. Not to me, it's not. Thank you, Sphinx. That's why I like you. I got you. You know, I That's think... That's like my shtick, is like merging those two things together. Well, t- tell me more about that. This is a whole world that I work in, is is building community for the for businesses. And, and there's a line of thinking and a narrative sometimes that, well, community should be very people-driven, very human-driven, very values-driven. And bringing profit into that will make it less authentic and make it less real, meaningful. It can corrupt it. And yes, it absolutely can, but it doesn't have to. And I think like the greatest companies in the world today are building really meaningful, authentic communities. And I think the greatest communities in the world today have figured out how to financially sustain themselves and build a sustainable business model around their community because I've been on that side too. And I know thousands of community builders who put in that work, put in that effort, work really hard to build their community and they can't afford to pay a moderator or to pay themselves. Mm -hmm. And they still have a full-time job on the side. And like that, that to me is ridiculous. So I think like the, the perfect balance is 
finding where businesses can invest authentically into community and where communities can um, either themselves be a sustainable business or figure out what like the, the tangible business outcomes they can drive are. If that was a tweet, I would retweet it. That'll be too long to be a tweet, but thank you. It'll be a thread. I think, I think that's so spot on. And I also, the one thing I want to add to that is I think, you know, when some of these communities do add monetization products, like the way to think about it is, is less so like that you're taking from the community, like you're, you know, you're actually giving to the community. That's right. Like you're make you're giving them, you know, I love uh, Toby from Shopify has this great saying called arming the rebels. Mm. And you're like arming your rebels, your community rebels with like physical goods or virtual goods or experiences that like have given them superpowers. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. That's great. That's what it's all about. That's like society at its core, right? Like that's what humans do is we like gather and then and figure out how to like support those groups and make them more successful. So so what are you what are you seeing? I know you, you tweeted recently as well that you've seen a few companies unbundle from Reddit and are already, you know, financially sustainable. What are some really good examples of communities as businesses that are exciting to you right now? Yeah, I mean there's a lot. There's a ton actually. I think what's happening is the playbook around just like pick a community, go really deep is now in and like figure out how to build something for them is going open source in a lot of ways. A lot of people are starting to talk about it, which is awesome because mm-hmm. we're arming the rebels here. Mm-hmm. You know, a few examples, you know, we were at Lake Checa, we were exploring um, building a community for uh, the ride sharing community. Um, people who give, like people who work for, like basically Uber, Lyft drivers, yep. uh, also DoorDash, uh, delivery people, like that whole set of people who, you know, share an identity and, you know, don't really have like a place online where they can go and gather and right. talk about things. And we found that the best, you know, the best place for it um, really was, you know, it was Facebook groups, but it was also this blog called the ridesharegui.com. Mm. And it's this like rogue dude who has like essentially a media company that brings in millions of dollars a year of revenue. And we found it because on Reddit, um, they kept posting links from this guy. So, you know, that's an example of, you know, step one, we went on Reddit, we got deep into that particular vertical, had a key insight. Step two, we looked at the existing place of gathering and, and how they were gathering and, and, and saw this like really kind of archaic, you know, older blog, you know, felt like from the mid 2000s. I wouldn't exactly say mm-hmm. 100-year-old, 90-year-old you know, person's house, but I would say like definitely, you know, similar vibes. And, you know, we just saw like an opportunity to potentially build something that co-create, I should say, co-create something with that community to so start just interviewing them and stuff like that. So that's an example of like, what does a process look like? Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I'm seeing like my inbox is flooded of, of, of people basically who are building similar stuff. Mm. Are there any that come to mind that are exciting to you right now or, or great communities 
that you're seeing that have figured out how to monetize as well? I mean, I really like um, Super Great App. Um, I think that's really cool. What's that? It's um, it's an unbundling of YouTube Play, but for makeup. Oh, cool. And beauty. Mm-hmm. Using live video, using video and live video, and and in virtual economy, I think that's really interesting. I really mm-hmm. like Stadium Live, which is sports for Gen Z. So you get assigned an avatar, and then you get you know sports. Think about sports like our identities are so tied to like you know our favorite football team or right. you know basketball team or whatever where we're from plays such a role in who we are i'm from new york i'm from you know san francisco and like the rivalries that's another big thing so uh what's cool about stadium live is it you basically join these like you know call it uh toronto maple leafs versus the montreal canadians and you're in this like kind of like virtual world and you see all these like avatars that they, it's your bitmoji and you can like mm-hmm. chat with people and i you get these coins and the coins are redeemable to like sh- you know basically customize your identity mm-hmm. and i just find it an interesting exploration as to what we can do with avatars plus uh virtual space plus a particular topic mm-hmm. that could lead to more of a community totally so i thought that was interesting yeah, there's a lot of interesting avatar play now with everyone having to go online. I'm seeing a lot of really interesting virtual event products that are using virtual worlds and avatars, and it looks more like a game to like try to recreate how people can interact. And and those are great examples where it's like none of that none of that kind of interface or experience would exist if they just built like a Facebook group or a Reddit subreddit to gather that community. There's a couple that I like too. Um, her app, do you know her app? Yep. So great examples for LGBTQ women, I believe. And uh, so a dating app and community specifically built for for that identity. Spoke with uh, Naj Austin from Ethel's Club, a community for black creatives and professionals. Uh, Start off as a co-working space and, and now really building out like a dedicated community platform for, for that group. So again, like two, two really good examples of just focusing on a specific identity or or interest and building a space dedicated to that. Like you go to Ethel's Club website and it's like the details are just so immediately apparent of how they've designed it and who the community is built for. And I'm going to be speaking with Naj on the podcast soon, so I don't want to leak too much, but it's pretty fascinating just how specific and how detail-oriented she's gotten in, in creating that community experience in a way you, you can never do in, you know, the the standardized format of of a Facebook group or Slack or whatever. The way you can do it, um, and I think when people go to that website, they they feel it, right? It goes back to what we were talking about. It's about, it's about that feeling and I want to say too, like, you know, I've done a lot of work with Facebook personally. I've worked with the Facebook group's team. I know a lot of people on that team. I think it's really good people who are all invested in community for the right reasons and doing really awesome stuff there. I think like of anything at Facebook, the Facebook group's team is is having a a really positive impact for a lot of people. Um, But I, I do think that it's like we've swung so far to the side of centralization of community that we've lost a lot of that opportunity to create spaces for very unique, specific identities. And, you know, I would personally love to see an internet that 
has a lot more kind of like indie spaces and a lot more unique personalities and unique spaces for people to gather that aren't all reliant on single platforms. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think like Facebook groups is a net positive on the industry. Totally. I just think that let's get weird, you know, let's get weird. Let's get weird. And let's create things that don't look the same. And the beauty, you know, let's create a diverse internet and a, a unique internet. And I think it's happening. Um, and I think I think the shift is there's something in the air. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely something in there. I'll be curious to see if like data comes out that really kind of supports that. I'm sure it will soon. I haven't seen anything yet about like unbundling, but um, I think like you and I are so, we work so closely in the space that it's impossible to deny that there, it, there's not a shift happening. What, what's your advice for somebody who is starting a community and, and hasn't figured out how to monetize? How do, how do they find their business model? Mm, I would say, all right, give me an example of a community. And let's let's run through this. Well, I mean, we can even use the the community that you described, right? So ride sharing. So okay, now you've identified a group, you identified a unique identity. You think there's an opportunity to create a community for that identity off of Reddit. So you you know identify the first founding group of people. Like, I mean, we could talk about the process of building the community, but ultimately, it's like how do you how do you turn that into a sustainable business? Totally, I think. Um... Ride sharing, we'd have to bet, you know, this is how I would approach it. So with ride sharing, I'd be like, okay, first I'd want to create a destination for them that feels like home. So that'd be my, my first process and, and see if I can do that. Um, so I'd go and create that. And once I have that, and once I have like some level of engagement on, on the platform or, and, and also in, uh, you know, Instagram and other, and other places. Um, then I'd be like, okay, you know, how do I, you know, put lighter fluid on this by actually, you know, giving, arming the rebels and giving them products. And I would prioritize the products that I would sell as ways to make the core experience better. So I would think about like, I would basically, you know, I'm not, a, I don't drive for Uber, but I would, or, or Lyft or work with DoorDash, but I would basically try to understand what is something that they could buy that they're very excited about that they are willing to tell other people in that community? Okay. So you, you would work on a product to sell to the community. That's kind of where, where you would go first. Yeah. So first I'd figure out like, is it physical? Is it digital? Right. So like physical would be like, what is something that like going back to like being weird, like how do you create something that's like every, like maybe it's a fashion line, but for Uber and <laughs> Uber drivers, like who's, who's building a fat, who's doing, who's building the uniform for Uber drivers, like okay. just came up with that. But like, you know, something like that, that is gonna like make them feel really proud and excited. Right. And that drives word of mouth. What about like a membership, a paid memberships or premium membership communities charging so that's people on the to virtual be a member? Side. Yeah. So, you know, once you, you know, one of the mistakes I think a lot of people make is they start charging too early without understanding what the the full spectrum of what, you know, everyone wants, mm -hmm. um, power users and regular people. Mm -hmm. Once you've figured out and you really believe in what these power 
people, power users, power customers, power community members need and want, then that's when you're like, okay, I'm going to create a $5.99, $10.99, $20.99 month membership. And although only 5% of the member member base actually wants this, I'm going to go and do it. And I think, you know, every community should have, at, at a certain point, every community should have a paid component virtually with like exclusive access or interviews with leaders or, you know, moderate, you know, moderated panels or just, you know, things that they want access mostly. I think most of the time it's access. Mm. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Yeah, I agree. I think, well, is it just access? Um, I think it, I mean, it, it depends, which is a shitty answer, but, um, you know, it depends on who, what is that identity that you're gathering, you know, in professional communities like CMX. Um, is it access? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Like we've done, like we have our pro membership and, and people want access to mentorship. They want access to um, premium content. Right now it's like the big driver for a lot of people is, you know, we have CMX Academy with all of our training programs. And if they're a pro member, they get access to all of our trainings. And so, yeah, it's just kind of like more premium content and experiences in a way. Um, but we, we do a ton of things for free. And I mean, we're still on that journey of really identifying what it is that makes people compelled to pay for membership when we do so many things for free. Yeah, and I think uh, the journey to, to really figure it out often takes a long time, too. Absolutely. Six years and counting, Greg. <laughs> Feels like yesterday. Yes. At least to me. Yeah. To me, it feels like yesterday. To you, it might feel like 60 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and I, I speak about this openly, like we never really figured out a great business model. Like we did enough to like hire a few people and get by, but not to really do everything we wanted to do, um, which was a, a big incentive to ultimately move forward with the acquisition of CMX by Bevy and you know, you, you advise me through that process, uh, and you've been through acquisitions and, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of, we were talking recently on Twitter, like there's a lot of communities that were acquired by companies for, you know, some degree of that reason of like, they haven't figured out how to scalably fund all the initiatives that they want. And so by partnering with a, you know, a software company, a well-funded company that gives them the resources to to really invest more heavily into it. That's why I think like the product concept is really compelling to me because if you have a product that you can sell at scale, whether it's a digital product or a physical product, that's a really compelling business. And then the community becomes a way to just continue to build trust and authenticity and connections that will motivate people to ultimately want to purchase that product. And, you know, if you look at CMX and Bevy now, you know, CMX drives millions of dollars in ARR for Bevy. So CMX is generating a lot more income. It's driving a lot more revenue now that there is a product that people can purchase, like at the end of that journey or funnel or whatever you want to call it. It's like pretty much every sales conversation we have, the prospect will say like, oh my God, I love CMX. I've been to, you know, a lot of the events and I'm in the in the Facebook group. I'm in the community um, and it, and it helps build that trust and, and sometimes people discover Bevy through the community. So at, at the end of the day, because there's a product there to sell now, uh, we're able to actually grow a pretty sizable business. Whereas before we were just making money on like 
like sponsorship sales and conference revenue, which like a lot of companies, there are companies who have done just fine doing that. But we really struggled to hit a trajectory that would have allowed us to do all the things that we wanted to do for the industry. Yeah, maybe there's a there's a lesson there for for our listeners, which is sometimes if you do have a a community, you know, thinking about partnering with you know different types of companies, be it technology companies, is one example with a real product could really help bring your community to scale and, and isn't necessarily a bad thing. Absolutely. Or build a product. It's kind of what Ryan Hoover did, did you know, going back to the yeah. product on story. You know, he was just organizing brunches and meetups for people yeah. who love product. Like that's how that company started. And then he came up with the idea for product hunt and like ran it through that community. And, and that became the foundation of the entire product hunt platform. Yep. It's crazy. It literally started with brunches. Yeah. It's just like, a curation of thoughtful people having brunch and who are all like passionate about discovering new apps and talking about products. Yep. And then all had the Ryan Hoover vibe, which, you know, for those of you who know him, he's just like very positive, very friendly, which can both be uh, unusual in the product space. Like people gravitated towards that because everyone else likes to just shit on new products. Yep, absolutely. Hmm. So what's, what's, uh, what's in the future for you? For late checkout, where, where are you kind of seeing things going? David, there's a lot of ground we got to cover here in communities. There's a lot of opportunity. So, you know, what late checkout is, is, is doing is trying to cover as much ground as quick as possible. Trying to understand all these different opportunities to unbundle and all these different subreddits and, try, and trying to understand these different communities. Can you just like really quick talk about that process that you have internally to unbundle and like... And discover those opportunities. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. You know, one of the things we started doing is a ritual every week, where a different member for from our team comes up with a presentation on a particular subreddit to unbundle and how they would unbundle it. And it's really cool because we've got we've got a diverse team, and the thing with community building is. You know, I'm only passionate about three to five things, let's say. Um, but my three to five things might be different than your three to five things. It might be different than other people's three to five things. So, right. Um, and that's why it's so, so, you know, it's one of the reasons I should say it's so important to have um, people from all walks of life on your team. Yeah. And all sorts of experience and walks of life and experiences. Right. So uh, what people do is they'll go do a presentation on it. For example, you know, this week's or yeah, this week's presentation was on uh, manga, mm -hmm. like the the uh, comic, basically Japanese comic books, mm -hmm. um, and all the different subreddits around it. What are that's the tools a, that's they an use? Entire ecosystem. It's an entire ecosystem, and like we went like deep. Like we don't start with r slash manga. Like we went like yeah, weird. You know that one to five that like we got weird. You know, <laughs> and like it's I funny to more, get weird I, in manga i couldn't even spell manga before this week <laughs> now you're the expert now like you know i'm like i'm one of them so <laughs> understanding the intricacies has been awesome and that came from an amazing um product designer that we work with who has just been it's one it's her her passion i was wondering why you were dressed as cosplay for this podcast <laughs> he's not dressed as cosplay but that would be funny if you're like i'm a manga be fun. fanatic now <laughs> 
Um, okay, well, we could talk forever, and yes. we would <laughs> if I don't stop us. So we're going to move into our rapid-fire question round. Cool. Favorite, I'll just say favorite resource. Could be a book, podcast, newsletter right now. Newsletter, Lenny Richitsky. Ah, so good. It's so, so good. good. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Lenny's, he's just like, does these really deep dives into like a single question. Like how do marketplaces get started? And he'll analyze like 40 marketplaces and give you a full grid and every element and every aspect of how they got started. And he's he's got Ryan Hoover vibes. If you know him in person, he's like the, one of the nicest guys. I don't know so, Lenny in person. One day. I've known him for a decade, so oh I goodness. know him pretty well. We'll have to yeah. get him on the show. Maybe a, yeah. Maybe a good one to talk to. All right, cool. Great totally. one. Um, favorite community that you're a part of? Actually, I don't want to share it because it's a private community. Mm. But yeah, but it's mysterious. It's <laughs> Is it manga? <laughs> no, I'll tell you if it was manga. Okay. Um, maybe, I like, I I like that you, answer. Can, you know, that's a great answer, actually. I can give you a favorite one. Which Is I'm it in a Facebook group? About. One particular community that I'm not, I will happily. Mm-hmm. share okay um that it is not my favorite but is one that i'm a part of is this like group of i i played a, a video game growing up called counter-strike of course and i got really good at it mm-hmm. and i was like kind of pro for a minute and I didn't we know had that. This, like, yeah I, I don't it was like a yeah i played in the uh world's world cyber games in 2004 or something like that God damn all right i oh well i yeah anyways good times that's awesome you know all about my Tony Hawk history. Yeah, yeah. You know, we get we got that in common. Although Counter Strike is a legit game to be good at. <laughs> Tony Hawk, I was like a hundred of us, and I was one of the better ones. <laughs> uh, favorite like app that no one really knows about right now. Like, what's your like? Mm. What's your like lesser known app or tool? There's some cool stuff that haven't launched, but I can't talk too much about that. Other than that, so many secrets in this rapid fire round. I like Zenly. What's Zenly? It's a look. It's a location-based tracking app for your friends. You can like add your friends, and I can see like where David Spinks is, and I can send him emojis. It's kind of like find your friends, I guess. Find your friends, but like with fun stickers and emojis. And one of the cool things about it that they did during COVID is they show you a leaderboard of how long you and your friends have stayed home. Aha. Uh-huh. So like I was gonna 99%. say it's very easy to find me. I've been in the same spot for several months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I find that interesting. Okay. Um, next question. What's your go-to self-care practice? So I can't do this during COVID, but I'm actually I'm actually like setting setting this up in my in my house right now. But I was a weekly for many, many, many years, a weekly steam and sauna guy and cold bath guy. Hmm. I used to go, I don't know if I've told you this, maybe we've I'm sure actually we've probably talked about it, but I used to go to the Russian Banya yeah, in San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, every Sunday, which is yeah a Russian bathhouse. And for me, it's really that place is fantastic. It's fantastic. It just like clears my mind. It it, it just gives me a sense of clarity that I can't get yeah um, anywhere else. Love it. Yeah, that's true. I do miss that. Can't get that during quarantine unless you have it at home. Yeah, exactly. All right, last question. It's the easiest one to answer. If this was your uh, last day on earth and you had to sum up all of your life's wisdom and lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice to leave for the rest of the world, what would that advice be? Do what you can. Mm. Why is that your advice? I think uh, 
we were all put on this earth and we all have talents, innate talents. And I think life's about discovering what those talents are. And once we discover it, to do what you can with it and do as much as you can with it. Love it. Awesome. Great way to end. Greg Eisenberg, it's been an absolute pleasure. Just want to say, like, grateful for, you know, every, everything that you, you've always been someone who's always there for me. And whenever I struggle with anything in, in tech or startups, you're just one of the most, like, giving, thoughtful people that I know. You always have a great attitude. And I think, like, you're someone who's understands community on a deep level and have done it over and over again. And I'm really excited to see just where you go next with all your ideas and with like checkout. Grateful for you, man. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I'm just, I'm just trying to do what I can. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me for a masters of community rambling episode. I think this was a great one. I think everyone's going to love it. I hope so. I hope so. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Appreciate all the wisdom you shared here today. All right. We'll see everyone next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoy this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.